Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast, episode number 78. And I'm your host, Clint Davis, and we have today Stephen Arms, and I'm super excited to have this conversation with you, Stephen. Um, like I told you before we got on, me and some friends have been talking about raising boys, and we've done a, a, par- a couple parenting podcasts on raising girls, raising boys, um, but I, I was reading uh, Magician, um, King, Warrior, and I can't remember the other one, the name of it, but it's, have you read that book? No, but I've heard of it. Okay. Um, we studied that in high school, the kind of the four stages of manhood. Yeah. So we, we had read that and we'd been talking about, you know, just in our own lives, how nobody really transitioned us into manhood and, and how we want to do that for our kids. And, and like I said, you reached out and, and sent us your book and read it. And I was like, oh man, this is awesome. So I'm super excited to have you on. Well, thanks for having me on, Clint. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, uh, your background, Sure, absolutely. My name is Stephen Arms. I was born and raised in California, spent the first 25 years of my life there. And then I met my beautiful wife-to-be, so who was from Oregon. So I moved up here to Oregon and have been here ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got married in 2018, and now we have two beautiful children. My daughter is three years old, and we have a two-year-old son as well. Yeah, um, it's exciting, man. And then, uh, you know, you're in the thick of it. I say, you know, I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old and, and, uh, we're in the shortest period of our life, but it's, it's the hardest period of our life <laughs> to some degree. It's yeah. Non-stop. It's a lot of work, but it's uh totally rewarding and super fun too at the same time. Yeah. So tell us your, your, tell us about kind of getting into, I know the story, but for our listeners, uh, milestones to manhood is the name of the book. Um, if you um, give us kind of the blurb or where that came from, I know your, your dad kind of started it, but tell us the story behind yeah. that. Sure. So my family has a tradition where when a boy or girl turns 13, uh, they have what we call a rite of passage weekend. And 
a rite of passage weekend is essentially uh, a weekend that a boy or a girl can look back on and say, that was the moment that I became a man or I became a woman. Mm. And when we, you know, when we look at other cultures from around the world, we see these other examples of coming of age ceremonies. Uh, the most well-known is probably the Jewish bar mitzvah. Mm -hmm. Another example would be the walkabout in Aboriginal Australia society, where a boy is sent off into the wilderness for three to six months at a time. And when he comes back, he's no longer considered to be a boy, but he's considered to be a man and he's eligible for marriage. Modern Western society doesn't really have an equivalent coming of age ceremony. So when my brothers and my cousins and I were growing up, my dad and my grandfather sought to develop a modern version of a Christian coming of age ceremony mm. that they called the rite of passage. That's awesome, man. So when do you think uh, we stopped having this kind of rite of passage or these ceremonies? It, was that the onset of America? Was that England? Do you know like the history of kind of when that fizzled out? You know, I would say uh, in our society, uh, the reason that we stopped having these coming of age ceremonies is probably because of the industrial revolution, mm -hmm. you know, pre-industrial revolution, families were very tight knit, you know, maybe everyone worked together on the farm or everyone worked together, uh, in, in a Smith shop, a, a blacksmith. Um, you know, you had this whole concept of a master and an apprentice. Mm -hmm. And then with the industrial revolution, which don't get me wrong, there's a lot of good things that came with it. But one of the downsides is that it kind of split up the nuclear family. So dad would go off to work in a factory all day and kids would be sent off to, to the schools. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's one reason why we don't have a rite of passage today. And when you look at the societies that do still practice rite of passages, whether that's you know Brazilian Amazon tribes or tribes in Africa, um, those are the societies where the family is very tight knit, right? The mom, the dad, the kids, they all live around each other and they spend all day together. So it's society societies that have tight knit families that are still practicing this rite of passage tradition. Yeah, it's interesting. We have totally lost that family unit um, focus. I mean, we would all, lots of people would say that's really important and we have to have that, but you're right because the industrial revolution and, and I would say radical individualism, you know, in the midst of all of that, the American dream, like this push to like achieve success in the way that we now say is successful. Um, yeah, we've lost that value of relationships. We don't respect our parents as much. We don't have this dialogue with them. We don't learn these lessons. And, you know, that was a huge shift for a lot of problems in my, in my opinion. Um, I think, uh, what do you, what do you think about kind of the church's role in that beginning shift during the industrial revolution? What do you, because I feel that, um, that's, you know, ultimately we're, we should be the forefronters of cult forerunners of culture. And yet somehow within that, we kind of fell victim to the same thing. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, um, we are, as Christians, we're called to be in the world and not of the world, but I think it, you know, uh, obviously the world, the culture at large has affected the church as well. So it kind of has gone both ways. We are called to change the world, but realistically, the world has changed us too. And so uh, this Christian rite of passage weekend is a way that 
we are trying to have a positive impact on the culture and bring back this whole idea of having a rite of passage for 13 year old boys. Yeah, it's definitely needed and girls, right? I mean, I, I didn't realize that you, you did them for girls. You know, I know the, uh, Hispanic culture has the quinceanera, uh, you know, yeah. I think that's for 15 year old girls, I, I believe. And, you know, we call it sweet 16. So there are these kind of echoes of these things, but, um, I would say from a psychological perspective, it's cool that you guys do it at 13 because somewhere around 11 to 12 to 13 is when kind of puberty hits and there is this biological transition from, you know, boyhood or girlhood to, to manhood or womanhood. Um, and 16 seems a little bit late to have a transition. <laughs> you know, you're already three or four years into the biology of it, the hormones of it, the sexuality of it, all these things that, you know, God has given us and has wired us for. So I like that you guys, you know, do it somewhere around, you know, this 13 year old mark. Was that part of the process? Yeah. Um, when my dad and my grandfather were kind of starting this tradition in our family, they thought 13 was the perfect age uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, the boy is becoming a teenager. So that, it's already kind of a milestone birthday in his mind, right? Mm -hmm. He's leaving boyhood be behind and he's becoming a teenager. So that already means something. And then secondly, he's kind of at that sweet spot where he's old enough to understand the significance of the moment. He's old enough to understand the advice that's given to him, but he's still yo he's young enough where he hasn't totally dismissed dad and grandpa, right? Yeah. By the time you get to 16, 18 years old, they don't want to hear it, right? They pretty much know everything at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, and admittedly, 13 years old is pretty young to tell a boy you are a man now it's pretty young to bestow the title of man on somebody but my dad and my grandfather thought you know it's probably better to initiate a boy into manhood a little bit too early rather than a little bit too late because by the time a boy gets to 18 21 years old he's probably already made some pretty important life decisions at, at that point without the full support um, of the other men in his family behind him without this confidence in his masculine identity because his dad has told him, son, I just want you to know you are a man now. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing. I love about the story of you guys and what I hope to model in my own life with our friends, um, is, is you do do this as a community, right? You, you have your uncles and your, your cousins and your the men in your life who have watched you grow up and who have been a part of that. Um, can you tell a little bit about how that was for you guys or what it was for you? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, dad obviously is the most important real male role model in a boy's life. You know, there's no replacing dad, but at the same time, around 13 years old, there's also this tension that is starting to develop between father and son, right? They live under the same roof. The boy is, uh, starting, starting to spread his wings and wants to gain more independence. And so, getting other men involved on the weekend helps to break through to the boy in a way that he might actually listen. Mm -hmm. So it, one of the men might give some advice to him that dad has been saying for the last six months, but just hearing it come out of the voice, coming out of the mouth of a man who's not his dad, the boy might finally actually listen to it and, and take the advice. So for me, my rite of passage weekend was my father, my grandfather, 
and then two of my uncles. So it was the four of those guys who took me away for this rite of passage weekend. Mm -hmm. And y'all do it for how many days? So it's a, it's a two day trip, uh, just one night. Okay. Awesome. So what are some of the, you know, I can already kind of hear people going, well, I don't have a dad. I don't have an uncle. I don't have a brother. Um, and I find it, I guess I want to paint this picture. You know, what you guys have and what you're trying to present is an ideal, right? Is it something to shoot for? I mean, I know in the book, your dad even addresses this or you do, I don't remember which one, but, you know, give some ideas of what to do. So we'll get there. But for people listening, you know, I grew up, my parents divorced when I was eight my dad was working his butt off trying to provide so we could survive and just have food. And, and my uncles and him didn't have a great relationship. So they were, they were there, but there weren't any men to surround me and teach me any lessons. And if, if they were teaching me lessons, they weren't the best lessons in the world about life. And so, um, I know that people are listening to this and going, Oh my gosh, you know, I missed the boat on this or I don't have anybody to do that. So what would you what would you encourage people who are listening, whether mothers or fathers who are like, okay, yeah, I want, I want to do this, but I don't have anybody to, to do this with. Yeah. I would say, you know, if, if you don't have family members that are good people to do this with, then you need to look outside of your family to your friends, your friend group, to your church community and identify men who will go along on this weekend with you really um, really there's three criteria that you're looking for in, in one of these guys who's going to go on the weekend. The first is they need to be a man. And we think that it's important that it's other men that bestow the title of man on your son and it's not women. And this is not, you know, to speak poorly of women or to say that they're lesser than men. It just means what we, what we mean to say is that you can't give what you don't have. Mm -hmm. Right. And when a man tells a boy that he's a man, the boy believes it a little bit more. So criteria number one is that he's a man. The second criteria is this man has a previous relationship with your boy. Mm. You know, it shouldn't be a complete stranger going along on the weekend. Shouldn't be the first time that your son is meeting this man, because if it is a stranger, then any of the advice that's given to him doesn't really mean much to the boy. And then the third criteria is that it's a, a man who you trust to have a positive impact on your son. Essentially, what you're looking for is the type of man who you want your son to grow up to be. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a father, you know, a grandfather or uncles that are going to do that, then look outside of your family, look to your church community. It could even be your son's Boy Scout troop master or his football coach you know, someone who he has uh, another a previous relationship with. And then uh, to address your other concern about, you know, families who don't even have a father in the house to lead one of these rite of passages, that situation actually occurred in our family. Uh, I have a cousin who's adopted from my aunt who never got married. So she's a, a single mom. And she saw the benefit of her son having one of these rite of passage weekends. So she asked my grandfather to lead up his rite of passage weekend. And as you can imagine, you know, he totally jumped at the opportunity. Um, so I would say that for, for boys who don't have a father or a father figure in the house, 
it's probably even more important for them to experience one of these rite of passage weekends because they don't have that day in and day out example of what it means to be a man. Um, so they need something like this so that they have this clear moment in their in their lives that they can look back on and say, that was the weekend that I became a man. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? How did that help you transition? And, and kind of why do you think that helps boys transition? So I think that a rite of passage is important because in the absence of a rite of passage, boys will try to prove their manhood to themselves. And what that might look like is the sexual conquest of women. You know, you hear guys say things like, she made a man out of me, or it could be violence, right? Violence is essentially one boy trying to prove his manhood, prove his physical superiority over another man. And if if he's physically superior to this man, then that shows that, well, I'm a better man than him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or today, you know, uh, video game addictions. In a lot of video games, you can literally go out and slay a dragon, right? That totally plays into the male ego as a warrior, as a man, proving yourself. Mm-hmm. Or get, um, a, get a certain number of kills or have the, yeah. Yeah, kill the terrorist. Yeah, all of those sorts of things. And I don't mean to say that all video games are bad. I just mean to say that video game addictions, when when you're getting your masculine identity through your video game character, then something has gone wrong. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think it, what it brings up is the idea of toxic masculinity. And uh, I don't know your view on it, but you know, I, I believe toxic masculinity is a real thing, but I don't think all masculinity is toxic. And I think that's, you know, we have this crazy world right now where anybody talking about some of these things is if you start to say some of the things that even we're talking about today, you immediately get the sexism or you immediately get toxic masculinity. But what I actually hear you saying is, is what you're, you're talking about from a Christian perspective in this transitioning boys to manhood is actually going to limit toxic masculinity and, and limit, you know, abuse and, and patriarchal ways of living and, and, it's actually going to push back on that in a healthy way. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I think that with this rite of passage weekend, affirming a boy's masculine identity, telling him you are now a man, it it definitely benefits the boy because it gives him a confidence in who he is and in his own identity. And when men are acting like real men, like virtuous men, then women benefit too, right? All the the women that he's going to date as he grows up, ideally, he he treats them with nothing but respect and integrity. And then the woman that he finally settles down with and marries, you know, she wins out as well because she's married to a better man. So when men are acting like real, virtuous, godly men, then women benefit too. Yeah, that's great. So what what are some of those things that you would uh, were taught or we should teach to boys? What are some of those virtues? So I would say some of those virtues, um, you know, being a provider, being a protector, being a leader in your family, um, respecting women at all times, but also respecting your own integrity too, right? Um, Pornography obviously is a huge problem today. And a lot of guys don't see a problem with it, but they are essentially selling their soul, you know, for cheap pleasure, you know, so part of being a man is not only protecting the integrity of women, but it's also protecting your own integrity. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, other other advice that was given to me during my rite of passage weekend was the importance of maintaining a close relationship with God at all times. Um, and then also, you know, a man's relationship to money and to work, right? Mm. Uh, work good. is a huge aspect of our lives and um, having a healthy relationship with work where you can provide for your family, uh, your work is meaningful and you don't totally hate your job, but at the same time, you're not getting all of your identity from your work, right? That is uh, a huge part of what it means to be a man. Yeah, that's good. So name, name those things again. The, you got your, your work life, money life, um, integrity around sexuality. Any other major ones that you, you hit? Uh, and then the importance of maintaining a close relationship with God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, those are great, man. I think if we look at society and we look at how men are acting, um, you're right. There's a lot of us that, um, still have these very boy boyhood psychology is what we would call it. You know, one of the things that, um, we know is, is with pornography, with like going out and, you know, spreading our seed, going out and, and having multiple partners sexually, you know, it's this conquest idea, but it's also, um, the inverse of that. It's also just this, this desperate need for the little boy to be soothed by a mom or a woman. Yeah. And I think when men don't teach, uh, strength in the appropriate way, that definitely happens. You know, we, 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 we teach strength as aggression and violence and domination when in reality strength is vulnerability is openness is gentleness. You know, it's like, I always tell people what's easier to share your emotions with your wife or to keep them shut down and go, you know, work out. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot harder to share your feelings and say, Oh, that really hurt me, babe. Or, Oh, I really remember my dad did this or, Oh, I remember this childhood trauma. It's much harder to do that than it is to just shut up and suck it up and, you know, be strong. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's, you know, getting at the core of what it means to be a man. You have to have this balance between, uh, being tough, but also being tender, right? As men, we are called to be tough at times. We are called to suck it up and just get through it, right? Put our heads down and, uh, and get through it. But at other times we are called to be more tender. We're called to be more in touch with our emotions and good communicators, right? Um, if a boy enters into manhood, enters into marriage without being in touch with his emotions or without being a good communicator, that marriage is not going to go well. So as men, we have to have this balance between, uh, between physical and being tough and also being emotional and being tender. Yeah. There's hard strength and soft strength, right? It's, there's a difference between, um, being some guy who lifts weights all the time and who's aggressive and big and masculine, but can't, can't have a conversation about anything hard or anything emotional versus someone who's always emotional, always talking about these things, but couldn't protect, you know, a a fly if it flew into the room, you know? So you're right. It is a balance. And I think that's where for me, the body of Christ comes in and uh, God seeing us as unique individuals and members of that body is that it's on a spectrum for everybody. And that the question I would have for people, listen to this, dads, moms, boys, women, you know, is who are you? You know, where do you fall in that spectrum? Where is your, where are you bearing the image of God that you were made in the best? 
because it's not that all like uh, one of the th- the books Wild at Heart. Have you ever read that? I have not read it, but I've heard about it. Yeah, John Eldridge, right? Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm not hating on the book, but it kind of puts men in this like category of you got to be a hunter and a fisher and a you know an outdoorsman and all those kind of things. And I think there is you know there are parts of our heart that are wired to do that um, generationally and with epigenetics and psychology and, and all of those things. But there are men who that's not their thing. And, you know, I don't think they have to go out and be mountain men to be, to be men. And, and that's not what Eldridge is saying totally. But I find our, our problem with our culture today is giving these kind of broad brush things of everybody has to do this. Everybody has to do this, this way. Um, and the thing I love about what you're talking about in y'all's book is, you're not saying that, but you are saying that there are these rites of passage, these transitional periods that if you don't do it, there are going to be major consequences. How you do it can be unique and and there can be some variant, but I mean, I'm with you. The, we can look at our society and we can look in the world and we can see the consequence of not doing it. So let's see what would happen if we do it. And I think that's what you guys are proposing, which I, I love a lot. Yeah. You know, I'd like to throw out, you know, a couple of other rite of passages that our society is doing. One would be um, the grad- a graduation ceremony, right? When you graduate high school, you have this graduation ceremony, which is essentially a rite of passage to help young people transition from high school is ending to college or the working career is beginning. And within that rite of passage, you have these different rituals, right? There's everyone's wearing these kind of funny looking gowns and these square square hats. If you put that attire in any other context, it wouldn't make any sense, right? But in a graduation ceremony, it makes sense to us. There's an entrance procession. Uh, there's, you know, the valedictorian makes a speech. Um, there's a throwing of caps and then kind of the culmination of it is the uh, the bestowing, the handing of diplomas, right? Mm-hmm. The conferring of diplomas. And that's when you've officially graduated high school and you're on to this next chapter in your life. Um, another example that we are doing and we're doing well, well, in some cases is marriage. You know, a marriage, a wedding ceremony is a rite of passage in that your single life is ending mm. and your married life is beginning. And the whole purpose of a wedding ceremony is to make it clear in that person's mind and that man and that woman's mind that their single life is over and they are married, right? When you look back at it, you have this memory of a wedding ceremony. So you don't question, oh, am I married now or am I not? I don't really know. It's like, no, absolutely. You're married because you had a wedding ceremony. So we do have these other examples of rites of passages, but what we don't have is a rite of passage around the age of puberty, right? Around the age of 13, when boys are becoming men and women are, and girls are becoming women. Yeah, you're right. It's not happening. And I think we long for it. I think it speaks to the huge gap in community that we have in America. And that's part of the problem with the church and part of the problem with discipleship. And part of the problem with a lot of things is that, you know, the breakdown of this core family unit and not just family unit, but family, you know, extended family unit, um, has caused so much damage. And I'm with you. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like the industrial revolution did a lot to help us, but I think we we're you know, what, 50 years, 60 years in, and 
we haven't really caught up or backtracked or made sure that this thing, this family unit was a priority. We've kind of left it in the dust. And in some ways we're teaching that we don't need it, you know, that, that it's, you know, that you don't need any of these things. And, and, and to the point of like, you know, men and women are not the same and, you know, all the things that we're getting into in today's society. Um, so I'm with you. I think that this is something that, you know, every family should and every boy and every girl should have this transitional period. And I think psychologically it fits really well with the biology of it and the social science of it. And, and that, um, it's something that needs to be marked and needs to be a milestone. I think, Oh, the idealist in me is like, well, again, that means that let's say you're a young parent listening to this and you have kids, my kids age eight and five, five and four, in your case, three and two, then it just puts the, it puts the emphasis on the priority of community now. Yeah. And we, one of the things that I teach a lot on is, is the phone, the cell phone and, and social media and the consequences of that radical individualized overexposure. And one of the reasons why kids don't listen to their fathers or parents today is because they can Google whatever they want to. Yeah. You know, kids are losing the trust and the faith in their parents' advice because they can get advice from any YouTube star or Instagrammer or social media influencer and they get it in abundance all the time when they want it and they can curate it to exactly what they need. And so the same issue, right? The same root cause, you know, I would even say the, the, this rite of passage is a, is, or not having them is a symptom of the same problem, which is a lack of community, a lack of men, a lack of women doing life together. What do you, what do you think about that? I totally agree. You know, I think, um, you know, our boys and our girls, as we grow up, you know, the culture at large is influencing them and they are defi- the culture at large is telling them what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. Uh, the culture, the internet, their friends, their teachers, you know, are, are influencing them on how they see the world. And having this rite of passage tradition is a way to kind of counteract that influence. It's a way to get to your son before the culture at large does and tell him in our family, this is what it means to be a man in our family. This is what it looks like to have a close relationship with God. So, uh, you know, a rite of passage weekend, it's not a, it's not a cure all. I don't, uh, I don't claim it to be, uh, your son will still do crazy and stupid things growing (laughs) up. But the idea is that, um, your son, by having a rite of passage weekend, your son will not feel the need to to push things to quite the extreme because his father and the other important men, male role models in his life have taken the time to affirm his masculine identity. So he doesn't feel the need to prove his manhood through the sexual conquest of women or by jumping off 50-foot cliffs. He is confident in his masculine identity because his dad has told him, son, I want you to know in my eyes, I no longer see you as a boy, but you are considered to be a man in this family. Yeah, it's good. I think you would say this, but uh, I'll ask you. And that also is not a one-off meaning if you do have men in his, you know, let's say you have four guys you bring to this event, this rite of passage, your one of your prerequisites was that's a person that's been around them. So this shouldn't be the first time 
that they're having those conversations, you know, about how to treat women, about how to be a man, about how to protect, about how to be gentle, you know, it shouldn't be the first time. And if we ask, if we do a Christian perspective, like, you know, think about my boys and we talk about the Holy Spirit a lot and the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and patience and kindness and joy and, you know, self-control and, and, so we're talking about that stuff all the time. Like that's what it is to be a man. Isn't necessarily the biological markers, but is the is for me as a Christian walking in the spirit. And so as a man in our family and as in the family of God, it's not on us. It's it's our relationship with God and the Holy Spirit that gives us these markers. So as Christians, it's already there. Right? And so if we're waiting till 13 to start teaching people how to walk in the spirit, we're already in trouble. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, your your actions have to back up your words. So if you're a terrible example of what it means to be a man, not a, objectively not a good father, and then you have one of these rite of passage weekends, it's not going to mean much to your son, right? You have to, this weekend starts on a foundation of your actions supporting your words. So, That's good. Uh, so you can't expect this this weekend itself is like I was saying not a cure all. You have to back it up with how you're behaving, and same for the other men that you're going to invite to to hold this weekend for your son. Um, but the the other side of that is the importance of having one clear moment that he can look back on and say that was the moment that I became a man, mm-hmm. right? Instead of just going through life wondering, I wonder when I became a man. When is manhood going to kick in? And that's why we have boys going into their 20s and even their 30s, you know, these grown adults, these grown quote unquote men acting like boys. One reason is because no one has ever taken the time to tell them manhood has already begun. You know, manhood began a long time ago. So it's a balance between, you know, uh, having your actions back up your words, but also having a clear weekend a clear moment that he can look back on and say that was the moment that i became a man yeah i think it's interesting i mean that's it's, you're you're 100 right i think what comes up in my mind as we're talking about this is just in my own life and not having that transition i mean i just turned 40 in december and i'm like oh am i a grown adult now you know like that's how i feel i'm like oh i think i can finally allow myself to feel like a grown adult with a business and you know a children and a wife and um because it's just, it's it, no matter what, even if you have this transition, I'm sure, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, we're all fighting that kind of feeling of being the child. But I think part of that is what you're describing is that as men, one, I think before this transition, before this rite of passage, how we treat our children is so vital as men. We treat them with respect, even if they're a child. But there are some roles and some places that that they need to play into understanding who you are and your authority and all this kind of things in the family, but how you, how you, um, how you've done that for 13 years is going to be super impactful on if they listen to you even more, if this weekend is impactful, but the transition that starts from 13 up where now, you know, I see my son as a man and I start to treat him that way. And we've all acknowledged it. And not only he's acknowledged it, but the other people in our lives have acknowledged it. Then he gets to walk in that more. And instead of having to force that masculinity down his throat and like kind of punish him into it or corral him into it or constantly remind him of it, there's been this pretty emotional moment that he can hold himself accountable to, that he can be proud of himself of, that he can, you know, walk in. 
And so even after that, I think it's important as a, as a father and a man to continue showing them that, that, that they're a man from 13 up. Does that make sense? Totally. So in, in our family, after a boy or a girl went through their rite of passage weekend and was officially considered to be a man or the woman or a woman of the family, one really cool thing, uh, how we were treated differently was, you know, at, at large family gatherings, whether it was Christmas or Thanksgiving, um, you know, in our family, it's a pretty big family. So there was always two tables, right? Kids there table. was the adults table <laughs> and the kids table. And after the rite of passage weekend, you, you no longer sat at the kids table, but you sat at the adults table and you engaged in the conversation that the adults were talking about. So that was one really cool way where it was like, that you're clearly treating you differently after this weekend. Mm -hmm. um, other things, you know, for me personally, I'm one of the older cousins, one of the older grandchildren in the generation. So after I had my rite of passage weekend and I was officially considered to be a man, well, I was eligible to be one of those male mentors in my younger brothers and my younger cousins weekend. So not only did I have a rite of passage weekend, but I got to go on five other rite of passage weekends for my younger siblings and my younger cousins. Yeah. I think the other, what comes up when you're saying that is the other thing that um, I think of is because we haven't had this, we haven't had it in a healthy biblical way. Like you said, we, we've, uh, we've replaced it with fraternity hazing, you know, football, you know, abuse, you know, whatever kind of sports things we've done. It's like everybody's looking for this thing that transitions you into it, but then we're doing it in a bunch of toxic ways that are abusive and that are about power and that are about, you know, oh, well, you know, it's kind of the, you have to go through this and suffer because I did kind of mentality. You know, even as clinicians, as therapists, we, you know, we live in this weird time right now where, you know, for the most part, as a therapist doing a private practice, you had to grind it out for three to five years before you even had a caseload. Well, by the grace of God, we have a practice where people can come in and, you know, in a couple months, they can have a full caseload based on the work that people have done. Well, I don't want people to have to grind it out for 10 years, you know, just because we had to. But a lot yeah. of times there's that mentality of, well, we suffered and built this thing. And so for you to inherit it, you need to suffer. And so you can earn it. And it's in, for me, this, you know, at least it's what it looks like in the book. It's not about that. It's about saying, Hey, I suffered. So you didn't have to now let me help you before. Let me teach you ways to not suffer. And then, you know, let's transition this thing. So you don't have to stay stuck in this kind of uh, adolescent, you know, stage that's going to cause more pain than good. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, realistically a 13 year old, uh, he might be a good kid, but he doesn't have any practical life experience, right? As a 13 year old, like you haven't gone through much life. You don't have wisdom, right? But these other men, his grandfather, his dad, his uncles, or his football coach, whoever you get involved in this weekend, they have accumulated years, decades of wisdom through learning things the easy way and learning things the hard way. So any advice that you can give to the boy if he chooses to listen, then, you know, it'll serve him well as he goes through his teenage years and his 20s. So that's a major part of the weekend is uh, is giving the boy advice on what it means to be a man and how to be a good man. Yeah. The other thing I think um, that I like that you guys talk about is we say I say this a lot to clients as we're doing parenting stuff, but it's like healthy risk. 
that you're letting them do stuff during that weekend that that is healthy risk so they don't take these big dumb risks can you talk about that a little bit yeah i guess that goes back to you know this uh this need for boys to try to prove their manhood to themselves and in the absence of a rite of passage a boy is going to try to do is going to do things that are dumb um take take unnecessary risks to prove their manhood to themselves but uh part of the weekend is giving the boy kind of some healthy challenges that he can engage in um one of them for example is the lighting of a fire so during the weekend we keep a fire lit in the fireplace the whole time and the fire uh, just as Moses encountered God in the form of a burning bush, fire is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and it symbolizes God's presence with us throughout the weekend. So the boy is tasked with not only lighting the fire, but maintaining it throughout the entire weekend. And that shows how in our own life, you know, sometimes our flame of faith is hotter, sometimes it's a little bit colder. But what's most important is that we never allow that flame to become fully extinguished. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one of those challenges that's given to the boy during the weekend for him to kind of prove himself in a healthy way as a man, you know? And one really cool thing about it is that the boy, even though he is tasked with keeping this fire going the whole time, that doesn't necessarily mean that he has to be the one to put the wood in every two hours, right? Um, he's actually told that you can do this by assigning, delegating the responsibility to the other men on the trip. Uh, so, you know, giving each man a time, a time slot to feed the fire. And that shows, that gives the boy some opportunities for leadership to exercise his leadership and to make decisions. Um, so there's a few other ways that we try to incorporate, uh, having the boy make leadership decisions and choices during the weekend. But that's one way to kind of show that, you know, we no longer consider you to be a boy. We consider you to be a man because we're giving you these le leadership opportunities, like deciding who cooks each meal, who cleans each meal, even like who sleeps in each bed in the house. So those are kind of small challenges that are given to the boy uh, so that he can kind of prove himself amongst a group of men who he has healthy relationships with um, prove himself in a healthy way as a man. Yeah. I like that. It also allows him to see other men having humility and letting someone lead, you know? So I think yeah. that example of, of being a 40 year old and allowing a 13 year old to tell you to make the fire or to do this, or, you know, there's, there's, you know, it's awesome to see that instead of what I see so much of in our culture, is you're at 13 or you're 15 or you're 16. You don't have a space to say anything. You're not a man. You can't talk, be quiet, show me respect, you know, keep your mouth shut. You're not, you know, until you're 18, so to speak. And, um, and man, that's just a, such a toxic way of, of helping people transition. What's well, not, yeah. it's not a transition like we're saying. Yeah. I think, you know, half the weekend, the importance of it is telling your son that he's a man, but the other half of the weekend is actually treating him like a man, yeah. you know? And that's how he's actually going to believe it is because not only did you use your words, but you also backed up your words with your actions. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as kids grow up, I've seen it in my own relationship with my dad. You know, my dad will always be my father. He'll always be 
have this authority figure be an authority figure to me. But as I've grown up and become a man myself, I've noticed in my relationship with him, there's also this kind of peer to peer aspect of it now where sometimes he calls me for advice, right? Whether it's for work or for his marriage with my mom. Um, sometimes he'll call me for advice, just like I call him for advice. So I think one of the really important things about helping your son transition from boyhood to manhood is a not only telling him that he's a man, but B starting to treat him like you treat every other man, like you treat your best friend, right? Um, treating him in the same way, instead of just treating him, coddling him all the time or treating him like your, your son, you know, there has to be two sides of that relationship. Yeah, it's good. I mean, there, and, and the transition is, is the important part because I think where it gets really messed up and toxic is when you have parents calling their kids for advice, complaining about their spouse, talking about stressful things, talking about money, and yet they've never allowed them to have that peer to peer level. And so it's, a, it's such a switch for the kid. There's all this attachment and there's all this attention seeking and affirmation seeking. And now, now I'm feeling responsible to take care of you because you've never really shown me how to be responsible to take care of myself. And that yeah. becomes, that's what I see the majority of in, in our counseling practice and in the world is, you know, all of that. And I do think, I think this, this, uh, weekend and the, these, these events, um, and these rituals are so important to break that, that transition and having everybody involved. I mean, obviously is, is incredible. So having the three or four or five men who are, are going to not just do it that weekend, but are going to follow it up and, and live that way is, is awesome. Thanks. Yeah, man. Uh, what else, what other kind of big key takeaways from the weekend? Um, do you, do we want to need to know about and not forget about? Well, um, I would say, you know, one of the really cool aspects of the weekend is uh, what we call the ribbon ceremony. And in the ribbon ceremony, every man uh, collects a stick from the outside. It's maybe two or three feet long. And on the stick, he ties uh, six ribbons. And then on each ribbon, he writes a positive or a negative character trait that he sees in himself. So his positive character traits might be hardworking, loyal, and honest. And then his negative character traits that he sees in himself might be greedy, lustful, and lazy. Those are just six that I'm making up off the top of my head. Yeah. And then every man uh, shares with the group why he wrote down what he wrote down. The boy also has a stick, but his stick starts off completely empty. And once every man has shared, the boy goes to each of the men's sticks and he unties the character traits that he wants to take from this man and he ties it onto his own stick. And that shows how as men, we have the ability to emulate certain positive character traits that we see in other men, right? My dad was a super hard, is a super hardworking guy. That's something I've really tried to emulate from him. My grandfather was really good at giving words of affirmation and praising people. That is something that doesn't necessarily come easy to me, but I've tried to emulate it in my own life. And then, so the boy at the end of the exercise is left with this stick full of positive character traits. And the men are left with their sticks, ideally with their negative character traits on them. And when the exercise is done, they actually take their sticks and they place them in the fire. 
And this shows their desire, A, to burn away their negative character traits and improve upon themselves because no man is perfect. We all have room for improvement. And B, their reliance upon God to do so, right? That fire represents the Holy Spirit. It represents God's presence during the weekend. So by placing their negative character traits in the fire, they're saying, I can only do this by God's grace, not through my own strength, mm -hmm. if I'm ever going to become a better version of myself. I like that. So do you, in the book, you, do you have some of those things listed out or is there a workbook that comes with it? Yeah. So, uh, the book, the first half of it is really kind of our family story. Why a rite of passage is so important, how the tradition got started in our family. And the second half is really a how to guide for how to guide for fathers who want to organize a rite of passage for their own sons. Um, Another really cool thing that we've done is that on our website, um, milestonetomanhood.com, <clears throat> we have uh, some email templates that fathers can go to our website, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, copy and paste these emails and send it out to the group of guys who they want to invite. You know, we realized over the last 20 years of organizing these weekends, there, there were a lot of emails going back and forth through the family, we thought, well, why don't we just clean these emails up a bit and give them to your audience so that they have the actual words to organize one of these rite of passage weekends. So these emails explain what a rite of passage is, why you want to hold one for your son, and how what the weekend is going to look like. Um, we, we don't ask for your email address. I know that you know some guys don't want to be spammed, uh, totally rightfully so. I don't want to either. Uh, so we don't ask for your email address. These email templates are totally free. You literally just go to our website, copy them and paste them into the body of, an, of your email. Mm -hmm. So we've tried to make it as easy as possible for other families to organize one of these rite of passage weekends for their own sons. That's great. But if they want to, is there a service that you guys provide? We don't. Okay. And so we don't organize any of these weekends for anyone outside of the family. And you know, really the thinking there is like, it's gotta be, it's gotta come from a from men who have a previous relationship with these boys, right? right? If I do it for a boy who lives, you know, in Timbuktu, it's not going to mean anything to him because I'm just a stranger to him. So good. we really encourage other families or close friends to do this for boys and girls in their own lives. Yeah. I like that. Well, man, this is good stuff. Any uh, kind of closing thoughts, comments, things you want uh, the world to know? I would just say in closing, you know, that I really believe that it's every father's responsibility to tell his son at the appropriate age, son, I want you to know that in my eyes, I no longer consider you to be a boy, but you're a man, but I see you as a man now. And that if every father in this country did that at the appropriate age, then this country and this world would be a much better place because boys would not need, would not feel the need to prove themselves, prove their manhood to the same degree. 
Yeah, I agree, man. I think it's exceptional. I love the book. I love the philosophy. I'm very thankful for it. You know, like I said, we, we've been my, one of my buddies, he, uh, he's created these kind of swords and these things that he plans on like passing down and kind of knighthood. And, and there's a couple other books out there, uh, on, you know, the modern day night and things like that. Um, but I really like how you guys tie in the, the weekend and the rite of passage and the other men. And there's so many rich things about it. My encouragement to people would just be like, start now, you know, start, excuse me, start curating that culture for your family. Me and my wife were talking about it actually earlier this morning and just everything in our lives, like prioritizing violin lessons or soccer practice or baseball or whatever it is that you have your kid in, you know, your whatever time you're giving to those things, you're replacing time at home, time with men, time with women, time with people in your life that could be pouring into them. And so if it's just activity for activity's sake, we need to find a balance. And I think that's one of the problems with American culture and America, especially Christian culture is just the, the busyness, just the constant doing tasks and doing entertainment that at the end of the day is, is not leading to emotional, physical, or spiritual health. It's just a thing we're doing. And, and we say that it is, you know, we're like, oh, sports were great for me. And this was great for me. And again, I'm not anti-sport. I'm not like keep your kids out of sports, whatever. But it's just stopping to pause and go, well, who are the men that are around my kid five hours a week during this sport? Who are the women who are teaching my kid violin lessons? And and is there a conversation I can have with them where they're a part of this process until they're 13? Um, because when you have that, when you have that, you know, Scripture says, without vision, my people perish. When you don't have that vision for where you're going or where you're trying to bring your kids then you're going to miss a lot of the steps along the way. And then all of a sudden they're 13 and you're trying to figure out how to do a weekend. It's not going to work. And so what I encourage people to do is if you have an 11 year old or a 12 year old, or, you know, you're right on the cusp of this transition, you know, don't throw it all out. Just prioritize for the next six months and do the best you can. It may not be that you had some man in his life for seven years or eight years or five years and maybe three years, but man, that three years or that year can make a huge impact and then you have the follow-up for the years after that. Would, would you say the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you have to be very uh, selective about who you allow to influence your son and your daughter, you know, who you're surrounding yourself with. But I think what, what I hear you saying, kind of, I, I read this quote recently, and I'm going to butcher it, but um, saying how we need to have our heads where our feet are, right? to be, and what, what I mean by that is we have to be uh, mentally present wherever we are physically. Mm -hmm. So whether, you know, if, if you have your child signed up for football or for violin, like be there, like fully present mentally, not on your phone, scrolling through Facebook, seeing what's new, right? You have like being a parent is all about being a good parent is all about being present with your child. That's really what our children want is they just want us. They just want time with us, real mm. quality time with us. They don't really care about, um, you know, the gifts that they got for Christmas or for, you know, what kind of clothes that they're wearing. What, what our kids really want is good, meaningful quality time. And I think that's one thing that this weekend does well is that it gives this, this your son or your daughter, a lot of focused attention on their 13th birthday 
from not only their father, but also the other most important male role models in their lives. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, I, I really I admire your family and what, you know, what you guys are bringing to um, us and the world with this idea. I admire um, y'all's courage and putting it out there and writing it and telling your stories. And, and I think a lot of our listeners are looking for that. And we don't even know we're need. You know, you don't even know you need it. You know, we work, I work yeah. with a lot of sex addiction and, and sexual trauma and trauma in general. And we're constantly having this conversation. I was just having it this morning with somebody that, you know, it's, we have all these coping mechanisms that were survival mechanisms for our entire lives. And now we feel all this shame for the things that we're coping with and the ways that we are and the ways that we survive. When in reality, it was it, no one ever taught us how not to do that. And no one ever taught us how to have proper coping mechanisms. And so I think this, this milestones, the manhood, like it's milestones, right? It's, it's along the way up into it. And then it's following it up all the way through life. And, and those transitions happen. But when there is a, a moment, a set thing in our minds, um, you know, it puts a flag in the ground of this is this is new. This is to be remembered. And throughout scripture, there was constant, you know, examples of that. Um, they would stack rocks up in, 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 in these stones to, to remember where they were at and where this thing happened. And um, so, yeah, I think it's a great, great idea, man. I appreciate you sharing with us. Appreciate you coming on. I'll, I'll put the uh, is it, it's milestones to manhood dot com. Uh, correct. Yes. Website. Yep. So check out the book, guys. Um, it's awesome. Stephen, I really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, having a good chat with me. Thanks for having me. It's been an honor to be on your show. Absolutely, man. All right. Thanks. Everybody have a good week and uh, God bless. Happy New Year.